0: Verse 32 to verse 38. Luke chapter 23, reading from verse 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ and chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Praise be the written of his holy word. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Okay, we go to our first um, station at the Mm-hmm. Very beginning of the crucifixion, made criminal by association, but still forgiven. Made criminal by association, but still forgiven. So the first thing we note here is the company they crucified him with, between two criminals, two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. Was this incidental or was it premeditated? Whichever way it is, they made him look like a criminal by association. What is interesting is that this was prophetic,
2: where it said he was numbered with the transgressors. In Isaiah 53 verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin
1: of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. All these were predetermined by God for the salvation of our souls as revealed in Isaiah 53.10
2: He bore the sin of many and made intercession
1: for sinners when he prayed. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Our Lord Jesus taught us
2: about forgiveness in many places. We begin with the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6:12, "and forgive us our debts" as we forgive our debtors. And this was followed by the consequences of unforgiveness in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. There was also the lesson
1: revealed in Luke chapter 17, verse
2: 3, where he said, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent.
1: You shall forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith.
2: It will appear that Peter led the way to seek further clarification of this teaching on forgiveness in Matthew 18, where he asked, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven in one day. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts. And that's where he gave this parable of two servants who came when their master was doing reckoning and he owed him, let's say, a million naira and one. The one that owed a million naira couldn't pay. And the master ordered that himself and his family be sold as slaves so that the money could be recovered. And this man pleaded with his master. So his master wrote off his debt. And then he went out and saw another servant that owed him a hundred naira. And he held him by the neck and took him to the police and had him locked up. And when the other servants saw what was done, they were grieved and they reported back to the master. Okay. Now, verse 27, verse 32, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgive you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had? pity on him. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And Jesus concluded, so my heavenly father also will do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother,
1: his trespasses, By increasing
2: the number of offenses from seven to 490, our Lord Jesus was teaching us that we should always
1: forgive for our own good. Interestingly, both science and medicine
2: have converged to determine that forgiveness is highly beneficial To the wounded and the offended. Here is an opinion. Forgiveness is relevant to the medical community in four primary ways. First, forgiveness has implications for the health and well being of patients. Second, forgiveness can be promoted by relatively brief interventions. Third, forgiveness can be a possible response for those who are harmed by medical errors. The Bible reveals that there is grace for those who need to ask for forgiveness from those they offended. It takes humility. It takes brokenness to ask for forgiveness for those you have offended there is much grace for those who need to forgive all those who offended them. No matter how deeply wounded we are, it is in our interest spiritually, it is in our interest physically and emotionally to forgive. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he led the way by forgiving those who hurt him. No matter which side of the forgiveness um, (laughs) dilemma we find ourselves, there is much grace to reveal love through forgiveness of those who have hurt us. And there is much grace to reveal humility in those who need to ask for forgiveness from those they have offended. On this Good Friday, when our Lord Jesus Christ prayed for those who hurt him, let us determine to follow in his steps by not merely forgiving those who offended us, but rising to become their mediator and advocate before the Father. Just like our Lord Jesus did when he prayed, Father, forgive them, but they do not know what to do, what they are doing. It is important that Christian forgiveness treats the offender as if they did not do the wrong. This is the power of Christian forgiveness, and it's what brings healing to us. So that you are able to relate with them again as if they had not sinned. The Bible records the way God forgave us. This is the way God forgave us in Christ, recommended for us in Ephesians 4:32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And how did God forgive us in Christ? The answer is in 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. As we follow him to Calvary and hear him forgive those who hurt him, may we receive much grace to forgive as we have been forgiven.
3: Amen. 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 We now take our second hymn when I, there is a green hill far away. Now, take
1: Amen. Our second Bible reading from Luke chapter 23, verse 39 to 43. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong then he said to Jesus Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus said to him assuredly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise thanks be to the Lord for
2: his word Amen. 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 If if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. Was his plea a desperate cry to be delivered from the agony of his pains? For want of what else to do? Or was he purely antagonistic to Christ? It is interesting that our Lord Jesus did not respond to him at all. That should confirm that perhaps this was not a plea at all, nor was it a cry for help or mercy. It was a railing that had neither faith, nor soberness, nor humility. There is much to be said of the penitent thief who recognized the difference between them and the suffering Messiah. Yes, indeed, we may be suffering the same punishment, but certainly not for the same reasons. The prophet Isaiah, he spoke about this in Isaiah 53, verse 4, the New Living Translation. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. The way the penitent sinner reacted may suggest that he had met our Lord Jesus before. Quite a few fables exist about that. Here are some. Legend has been busy with the penitent thief. He is called variously, Dismas, Demas, and Dumacus. One legend makes him a Judean Robin Hood, who robbed the rich to give to the poor. The loveliest legend tells how the Holy Family were attacked by robbers, when they fled with the child Jesus from Bethlehem to Egypt. Our Lord Jesus was saved by the son of the captain of the robber band. The baby was so lovely that the young brigand could not bear to lay hands on him, but set him free, saying, O oh, most blessed of children, if ever there come a time for having mercy on me, then remember me and forget not this hour. That robber youth who had saved Jesus as a baby met him again on Calvary. And this time, Jesus saved him. These are legends, you know, (laughs) that grew out of that. There is no credibility at all to such stories. But the coolness and calmness with which he reasoned the situation in which he found himself and the humility with which he asked for mercy, It speaks of much grace. That's why the Bible says it's by grace that you are saved. When men show hardness of heart towards the Savior, when the sin hard and hard proves impenetrable to the wooing of God's grace it is proof that they have counted themselves out of the kingdom of God's grace and love. We have warnings to this effect. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion, as on the day of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors put me to the test though they had seen my works for 40 years therefore I was angry with that generation and I said they will always go astray in their hearts they have not known my ways in my anger I swore they will not enter my rest take care brothers and sisters that none of you may have an evil unbelieving heart That turns away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It is such a painful wonder um, to see people come face to face with the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his sacrifice self-sacrifice and love, and to turn away. But I almost turned away, I remember, but for the grace of God. But what we need to recognize is that habitual sinning always leads invariably to a hardened heart. But when we repent of our sins and in humility, ask the Savior to have compassion on us. God's grace is extended to us and we become reconciled to God through the sacrifice of his son at Calvary. It is such an awesome privilege to be numbered among the children of God. The prophet Isaiah, he wrote in Isaiah 35 verse 8, a highway shall be there it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fool, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and signs shall flee away. The way to Calvary is humility and repentance followed by acceptance of the Son of God as our Lord and Savior. And after we have come into the kingdom, we are careful to follow the path of righteousness and truth There is a clear distinction between our lives as unbelievers and our lives as children of God. This contrast is emphasized in Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart they have lost all sensitivity they have abandoned themselves to licentiousness greedy to practice every kind of impurity that is not the way you learned christ for surely you have heard about him and we are taught in him as truth is in jesus you were taught to put away your former way of life your old self corrupt and deluded by its loss and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourselves with a new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We must testify by our lives and by our conduct that Christ did not die in vain. Amen. Or that he obtained for us the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to lead godly lives to the glory of our God. Amen. The thief that God saved, he made it to paradise. He had no time to walk out his salvation with fear and trembling. Paradise is a place for the righteous dead. As revealed in Luke sixteen twenty two, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels To be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. But in the paradise of God, now relocated, is the tree of life, the tree of immortality, reserved for the overcoming redeemed, as revealed in Revelations 2 7. Let anyone who has an ear Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Everyone who conquers I will give permission to eat from the tree of life as is in the paradise of God. We must ask for grace daily to allow the Spirit of God to express the life of Christ in us and through us to the glory of God in the name of Jesus. Amen. That will ensure that we shall share immortality with our Lord and be like him all through eternity. First John 3 says to us, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in them, they purify themselves
3: just as he is pure. Amen. Amen. We now take our third hymn, O love that will not let me go. Amen. We'll take our third Bible reading from John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. Pastor
0: Ashoka. Okay, now let's stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said
2: to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to
3: his own home. Amen. 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 Amen.
2: Here we have the most moving of all the sins of this crucifixion. The disciples, out of fear, had gone away. John the Beloved was there, for we are told that he was known to the high priest. As we say today, he was connected. In John 18, 15 to 16, we are told, now Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. And that other disciple was known to the high priest. And so he entered along with Jesus into the court of the palace of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest He went out and spoke to the maid who kept the door and brought Peter inside. John had followed the Lord all the way with courage and boldness, with neither fear of the Jews nor of the Romans. Here he tells us that any privileges and connections we possess should count for the kingdom of God and of his Christ. We're also told that four women were there. Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, Mary's sister, Salome, the mother of James, and John, the sons of Zebedee. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala. We remember that the prophet Simeon had said to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed and destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against, verse 35, and a sword will pass through your own soul also, that the secret thoughts and purposes of many hearts may be brought out and disclosed. We are told that Mary kept all these prophetic messages in her heart. She followed all the way through without the fear of the authorities. For her, it was a mother's love. Undoubtedly, watching her eldest son hanging on the tree For something he did not do fulfilled the prophecy of of Simeon that a sword would pierce her soul. And he did, literally. We turn to Salome, sister to Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know that she was the mother of James and John the sons of Zebedee. We met her while she was lobbying our Lord Jesus for her children. In Matthew 20, then the mother of James and John, verse 20, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please, Let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering? I am about to drink. Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Now, the fact that Salome did not accomplish her mission to secure places of honor for her children did not deter her from loving and following our Lord all the way to the end. You know, you and I, are quite familiar with uh, many of us who have experiences, you know, some form of rejection, turn down request, and that dampens up and often kills up the enthusiasm with which we follow the Lord. But the fact that she did not accomplish her mission to secure places of honor for her children didn't stop her. She stayed with our Lord till the very end, leaving us a lesson that nothing, no matter what it is, will stop us from loving the Lord. Next, we come to Mary, the wife of Clopas. Not much is known about her, but there are suggestions that she was probably the wife of Alphaeus, the father of James the less, you know, in the list of the, the, the apostles or disciples that our Lord Jesus Christ chose. One of them is James, the son of Alphaeus. And, and it is supposed that this Mary, the wife of Clopas, is the, wife of, um, is the mother of James, the son of Alpheus. Some traditions suggest that Alpheus was brother to Joseph, the husband of Mary. If that be so, then it shows that it was mainly family that hung around until the very end. The fourth woman, Mary Magdalene, she was from Magdala. And what we know about her is that our Lord Jesus cast out seven devils from her. In Luke 8, verse 1, soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God, he took his 12 disciples with him. Along with some women he had healed and from whom he had cast out evil spirits. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing their own resources to support our Lord Jesus and his disciples. Mary was the first to see the resurrected Christ because she was so broken by the discovery that his body was not there anymore because they waited as Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus did the final barriers to note where our Lord Jesus Christ was buried. In John 20, verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb, crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. The woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. "There, woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, just tell me where you have put him. Now go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew is teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, it is interesting that uh, somehow, by Nobody knows by some uh, 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 mischief, they had labeled this Mary Magdalene with the the label of a prostitute. And there is no basis for that in scripture. And in fact, some of the commentators tell us that uh, um, demons in in Jewish parlance, does not necessarily mean somebody who is crazy. You know, but it may be that this Mary was uh, 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 full of diseases, you know, all kinds of maladies. Because our Lord Jesus Christ, when she he healed the hunchback in Luke's gospel, he said that Satan had bound her for 18 years. And so he cast out the spirit and, and the woman strengthened up. So for some people to say that this Mary must have been Uh, uh, some kind of schizophrenic, and that um, our Lord Jesus Christ had to cast out uh, their spirit seven times before she could finally uh, keep well. In fact, that is why many people, uh, the the critics, some of them think that uh, Mary's testimony could not be relied on, which is most unfortunate, that you should label such a lovely woman that uh, loved so much and couldn't sleep at first thing in the morning, she was there. They her with such a, or tied her with such brush. But what you must note in this story is that even at the time of his greatest ordeal, our Lord Jesus was surrounded by love. The love of mother, the love of auntie, and the love of friends. This is the kind of support every one of us need when we're going through trials and tests. People who will not abandon us but who stand with us to the very end. It is no wonder that our Lord Jesus handed his mother to John. His brethren were yet to believe in him or embrace his walk as we are told In John 7, 5, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Many suggest that John's family had a home in Jerusalem, even though their business was in Galilee. We cannot strain to authenticate this, since it is a natural expectation of the wealthy who would like to have their own place to stay in when they're in Jerusalem. For the feasts, that John was known to the circle of the high priest, proves that they moved in the elite circles in Jerusalem. But we see Mary robustly leading the Holy Family. Mary, the mother of Jesus, robustly leading the Holy Family to faith after the resurrection and before Pentecost. But we read about her in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So Mary had risen to the occasion and brought the Holy Family into union with the disciples. Let us pray. Holy Father, give us the grace for Robust faithfulness, robust loyalty, like these women at the cross, Amen. some of whom witnessed his death and burial. Unlike Mary, we are the very first at his resurrection, so that we too, our loyalty and devotion will speak volumes to the world around us. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name.
3: Amen. Amen. We now take our fourth hymn, At the Cross. At the Cross. We now take our our fourth Bible reading from Matthew twenty seven, verses forty five to forty nine. Matthew seven, Matthew twenty seven, verses forty five to forty nine. Now from the sixth hour. Until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," that is, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Some of those
0: who stood there, when they heard that, said, "This man is
3: calling for Elijah." Immediately. One of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and
0: offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him.
3: This is the word of God. Amen. Amen.
2: Now, what transpired in Jerusalem? This first Good Friday is quite phenomenal, and their timing even more so. In the Gospel of Mark, we are told that our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified at nine o'clock in the morning. Mark 15:24 says: then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece, Verse 25. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. In other parts of the Bible, we realize that the Jews rose up early by some kind of prayer arrangement and brought Jesus to trial at six o'clock in the morning. And the reason was because it was the preparation for the Passover the next day. And they had already been purified and there was no way they could go uh, and, and meet a Gentile because that would contaminate them. So during the trial, um, Pilate used to come from inside, he interview Jesus. And then he would come outside to answer the Jews because they wouldn't enter the judgment seat because they had already been purified the Passover and yet between that 6 o'clock in the morning and 9 o'clock Pilate had sent our Lord Jesus Christ to Herod who was in Jerusalem and Herod had returned him to Pilate it was a frenetic pace and by 9 o'clock Jesus was already on the cross Again, it was through Mark that we learned that our Lord Jesus died at three o'clock in the afternoon, making a total of six horrendous hours on the cross. I find this very interesting because sometimes I have been to churches and asked the people, what time was Jesus crucified? And they didn't know. What time did he die? One person told me at five o'clock in the evening. Another person told me at uh, 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 nine o'clock in the morning. And that's really very painful and a tragedy for us to be beneficiaries of such an awesome blessing, but we don't even know the story. I always say that that is the least we can do. Know the story of what happened. Treasure it in our hearts so that it will breed
0: loyalty and faithfulness in us. Now, this cry
2: at 3 p.m. signaled the transaction for our redemption. The Bible says from 12 noon to 3 o'clock, there was darkness all over the land. And then as our Lord Jesus Christ was emerging out of this darkness, He cried out, Eli, Eli, Lema Shebaktani. By interpretation, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, this is a cry that all of us who are direct beneficiaries of his sacrifice, We must come in obeisance
0: and bow in deep appreciation, severing its deep solemnity,
2: for it revealed the very depth of his pain and sacrifice. Some people have said that, um, oh, It wasn't about the pain. Indeed, indeed, it wasn't. Yes, there was the horror, as we will see, of being made sin for us who knew no sin. But nonetheless, there is the pain, the physical pain of the crucifixion. But where did it come from? Like many have pointed out, Psalm 22 is running through the entire crucifixion. First in verse 1, we read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? I'm from the words of my groaning. Then we read about the mocking crowd. In the same Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And we read about the soldiers, too. In verses 16 to 18, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. What we see in Psalm 22 and the crucifixion is prophecy being fulfilled in a very uncanny detail, as if they were all acting out a script. I agree with those who say that it was a transactional hour because of the things that happened elsewhere, particularly the veil that was torn in the temple from top to bottom. We are told that it is impossible to tear that veil except by a miracle, because the veil is said to be woven so thick that no scissors can cut it. You have to saw it. Besides, if it was torn from bottom to top, the ragged edges of human agency would have been discernible. But knowing how high it is from top to bottom can only be a miracle. But what is the significance of the ton veil? We see this in Hebrews chapter nine, verses one to eight. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary. For a tent was constructed, the first one in which were the lampstand, the table and the bread of the presence. This is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the Holy of Holies. In it stood the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which there were a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's sword that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowed in the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak now in detail. But six, such preparations have been made. The priests go continually into the first temple, uh, tent to carry out their ritual duties. But only the high priest goes into the second, and he but once a year, and not without taking the blood, that he offers for himself and for the sins committed unintentionally by the people. Verse 8, by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the sanctuary has not yet been disclosed as long as the first tent is still standing. Now, what do we understand? Because we need to understand all of this. Our Lord Jesus Christ is our high priest as we are told in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Our Lord entered the holy of holies in heaven and made us priests on earth, so that through his shed blood, we have become kings and priests unto our God. That's what we are told in Revelations 1, 5 and 6. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, I agree with all those who say that there is a mix here of both the humanity and the divinity of Christ. His humanity felt the physical agony of the cross. His divinity, felt the horror of what the Bible describes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Besides, the veil that was torn from top to bottom, there was the earthquake that opened up the graves spoken about in Matthew 27, 50 to 53. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of their graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, What does this veil really signify? It signifies that you and I can now enter into the Holy of Holies, you know, and this is very important. It is not just the Holy of Holies on earth. It is the Holy of Holies in heaven. That is why in the uh, evangelical altar, there are no barriers. If you go to some Orthodox churches, There are parts of the church that ordinary people who are not priests cannot enter. But when the veil was torn, it is so that those who have been made priests unto God by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ can enter the Holy of Holies. Hallelujah. And enter into the very presence of God. But the Holy of Holies to which our Lord Jesus Christ gained entrance for us. is not the Holy of Holies on earth. It is the Holy of Holies in heaven, where we may appear before God Almighty, the ruler and the possessor of all heaven and earth. That is awesome. So, the other thing that we notice also here from this story is that the moment our Lord Jesus entered Hades, the place of the dead, he liberated all the righteous dead who were in the paradise part of Hades and took them to the paradise of God in heaven. And this translocation we read about in Revelation 2-7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In the parable of, the, of Divers, the rich man, and Lazarus, our Lord Jesus Christ said that in Hades there are two compartments. That's the paradise where Abraham was, and there is the hell where the rich man was. And between, said there is a great divide. Those from hell cannot cross over to heaven, to paradise, those in paradise cannot cross over to hell. But then they could see each other. But Jesus said in um John three sixteen. except a man is born again, he cannot see. So when our Lord Jesus Christ translocated paradise from Gehenna or Hades to heaven, then there's no more connect, communication and connection between paradise and hell. And that's why you and I, whatever may be happening to us, we must determine in our hearts, to have our part with God and his son, Jesus Christ. We must savor this moment for all our lives. For this is the moment and the place where we became one with our Lord Jesus Christ so that he could make us one with God. And the Bible declares in Colossians 1.21, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled the body of his flesh through death to present you whole and blameless and above reproach in his sight. It is here that he took our sins and gave us his righteousness. It is here That his love for us shone with a million times the brightness of the sun to bring hope in the midst of despair, to save the lost, and to salvage our individual and collective destinies from the grips of the forces of evil. Oh, something tremendous happened here, brethren, that every single believer needs to stop when they say, go to Calvary. And there, kneel until the blood that is dropping writes for you that four-letter word, L-O-V-E, so that you can, you can savor the love of God in Christ Jesus and never be the same again. Amen. This is where sovereign grace, first revealed in Isaiah and Zechariah, was extended to all humanity as undeserving as we are. From Isaiah, we read in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Notice, Isaiah did not do anything for that to happen. He didn't even solicit for it. No. But when he declared, Woe, well, is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. Sovereign grace. Pardoned him. For Joshua, the high priest, we read in Zechariah chapter 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy the garments from him. And to him, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him. The angel of the Lord stood by. Joshua didn't solicit to be cleaned. No, that's what we call sovereign grace. You know, the initiative in pardon. The initiative in restoration belongs to God entirely. We are beneficiaries of sovereign grace in that while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, like we are taught in Romans, that was when Christ died for us.
3: Hallelujah.
2: So you and I must come to sovereign grace with humility, with gratitude, to receive our pardon, and pledge our loyalty and faithfulness in return. In the words of Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it said, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we had known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, it is a travesty to often hear the beneficiaries of sovereign grace speak as though Calvary was a walk in the park? It isn't. This is why we need to pause at the foot of his cross and worship him who shed his blood for our sins and bequeathed unto us his gospel of self-sacrificing love to empower us to go forth and change our own world. Eloi, Amen. Eloi, lema shebaktani should ring in every heart periodically to remind us of how much we owe to him and his commitment to do God's will in God's way. Amen. That was why he said to his disciples after his resurrection in Luke twenty four forty four. then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms concerning me, And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. The final question is this. What can we give him in return for all that he has done for us? Neither silver nor gold will do it. What needs what he needs is our hearts to be conformed into his likeness as the Father had preordained in Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And when we are conformed to his image, then we go into our world to show his life and the light that it is to our own world.
3: Amen. 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 We take our fifth hymn, Crucified. Amen. We'll take our fifth Bible reading from John 19, verses 28 and 29. John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29.
0: After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour sour wine, put it on high salt and put it to his mouth.
2: Amen. 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 The The other gospel writers captured this in different ways. Um, perhaps because they were not there. However, John was there. And also, what we must recognize before we go into these um, last three statements of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is that the interval, interval between all the three of them, so short, because as soon as our Lord Jesus emerged from that darkness,
0: he cried, I thirst.
2: Luke captured it, but with a difference. I thirst is our glimpse into the full humanity of Christ it is to detail for us the physical side of the struggle for our salvation. The psalmists also captured this in Psalm 69, verse 20. Reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity but there was none. And for comforters, I found none. Verse 21. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Let me um, bring you. Uh, Berkeley's opinion on this. Here is what Berkeley said. In this passage, John brings us face to face with two things about our Lord Jesus. The first is he brings us face to face with his human suffering. When Jesus was on the cross, he knew the agony of thirst When John was writing his gospel round about AD 100, a certain tendency had arisen in religious and philosophical thought called the Gnosticists. The Gnosticists, one of its great tenets was that spirit was altogether good and matter altogether evil. Certain conclusions followed. One was that God, who was pure spirit, could never take upon himself a body because that was matter, and matter was evil. They therefore taught that our Lord Jesus never had a real body. They said that he was only a phantom. They said, for instance, that when Jesus walked, his feet left no prints on the ground because he was pure spirit in a phantom body. They went on to argue that God could never really suffer and that therefore Jesus never really suffered but went through the whole experience of the cross without any real pain. When the Gnostics thought like that, they believed they were honoring God and honoring Jesus. But they were really destroying Jesus. If he was ever to redeem man, He must become man. He had to become what we are in order to make us what he is. That is why John stresses the fact that Jesus felt thirst. He wished to show that he was really human and really underwent the agony of the cross. John goes out of his way to stress the real humanity and the real sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you and I must arise to acknowledge his suffering on our behalf and so be filled with gratitude and be inspired to make sacrifices for the good of others around us. And that's why the scripture said, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross." In Hebrews chapter twelve, despised the shame, verse two, and is now seated on the right hand of God. And that's where, and that's where. Uh, uh, The preacher said, where there is no cross, there will be no crown. Our prayer is that as we journey through our own Christian lives, whatever is our lot, ordained by God alone, not inflicted by devils, whatever is our lot, ordained by God, Let us bear with patience so that the glory of God may be revealed in the world. Amen. In the
3: name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our sixth hymn, O come and mourn with me a while. Amen. Amen. Our sixth Bible reading is taken from John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 19, verse 30.
0: And it reads, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: The way the synoptic Gospels um, recorded this end was the shout. This is a shout of accomplishment. It is finished. The work of redemption is finished. The work of salvation through grace Is accomplished. Let me bring you back again. John brings us face to face with the triumph of our Lord Jesus. When we compare the four Gospels, we find a most illuminating thing. The other three do not tell us that Jesus said it is finished. But they do tell us that he died with a great shout upon his lips. Matthew 27, 50, Mark 15, 37, and Luke 23, 46. On the other hand, John does not speak of the great cry, but does say that our Lord Jesus' last words were, it is finished. The explanation is that the great shout and the words, it is finished, are one and the same thing. It is finished. is the Greek word, tete lestai. And our Lord Jesus died with a shout of triumph on his lips. He did not say, it is finished. In weary defeat, He said, he said it as one who shouts for joy because the victory is won. He seemed to be broken on the cross, but he knew that the victory was won. The last sentence of this passage makes the thing even clearer. John says that our Lord Jesus leaned back his head and gave up his spirit. John uses the word which might be used for settling back upon a pillow. For our Lord Jesus, the strife was over, the battle was won, and even on the cross, he knew the joy of victory and the rest of the man who has completed his task and can lean back content and at peace So it's important for you and I to relish in this triumphant cry and declare to men and devils, it is finished, it is finished, it is finished. Amen. And when you exercise spiritual authority based on this finished work of Calvary, do so with faith and confidence because Jesus paid the price. You know, there is a difference when somebody is doing you a favor and when you are receiving a gift that has been paid for. You know, if it's purely their favor, their discretion, you know, then they can bluff, they can, you know, do as they like and and, and, uh, turn you around before finally giving you. But when it is something that has been paid for on your behalf, Ah, it's as good as your own. So you go there with confidence, knowing it is finished. And that's why we exercise spiritual authority with confidence. No believer should cow before devils and cow before men, but stand up like Elijah and speak with authority the way we have been led by the Spirit. Oh, it is because many Christians, they know this scripture, but they have not encountered it. In other words, it has not been internalized. It has not become their property. They have not stood on it to challenge powers that be and to make decrees that say change must come because it is finished. Devils must give way because it is finished. Evil must crumble because it is finished. That is the challenge of this uh, uh, a message from the cross. It is finished. You don't have to wait any longer. It is finished. Go in and possess your possessions. Go in and glorify your God in your life and in your world. Stand on the truth that it is finished. Amen. So that the kingdom of God can prosper in your life. That's the challenge here. And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to you and I, i want you to go and walk the world
3: declaring it is finished
1: amen 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 amen,
3: amen. our seventh hymn is taken from uh, man of sorrows <laughs> Our seventh reading is taken from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 23, verses 45 to 49. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 23, verses 45 to 49. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that sight, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: And here the curtain was drawn on the mission of his incarnation to make sons of men become children of God. The cross began with great pain and sorrow, but it ended in triumph. Our Lord Jesus, he committed his soul and spirit to the Father. It is interesting that our Lord Jesus covered this in his prayers, where he said in John 17, 3 to 5, and this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And in verse 4, he said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. We are told, What happens to man at death? In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well Verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Let me again take you to Berkeley on this final triumph. Jesus cried with a great voice. Three of the Gospels tell us of this great cry. Our Lord Jesus died with a prayer on his lips. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is from Psalm 31, verse 5. With one word, Father, that verse was the prayer. Every Jewish martyr but the child, yes, thirty-one verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. So that verse was the prayer every Jewish mother taught her child to say. Last thing at night, just as we were taught to say some prayers ourselves. This night I lay me down to sleep. So the Jewish mother taught her child to say, before the threatening darkness came down. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Our Lord Jesus made it even more lovely for he began it with the word, Father. Even on a cross, our Lord Jesus died like a child, falling asleep in his father's arms. Besides, his prayer revealed the assurances he gave to his saints. I go to prepare a place for you. If you return before I come, I will be there waiting for you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's why many of us are not only Christians by faith. We're also Christians by understanding. For Christianity, it gives you life from birth to death. That when you are born into this world, you have the opportunity to be born again of the Spirit of God so that when your life ends, you will exit into the bosom of your Savior. No other person gives you that kind of assurance. No other faith gives you that kind of assurance. No other religion gives you that kind of assurance. That when it is all over, if you give your life into His custody while you were alive, when you pass over, when you cross over, He will be there to receive. Brethren, nothing, nothing is greater than that. And it's for that reason that you and I must seek for the grace to be loyal and faithful to God, to serve Him in holiness and righteousness all our days, so that when it's all over, He will receive us into his everlasting habitation. Don't forget that religion will not get you and I into that. Because our Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 7, that many will come on that day and say, Lord, Lord, I did prophesy in your name. I cast out devils in your name. It is not about works. It is about relationships. Do you know him personally? Are you loyal to him? Do you love him? Do you serve him? That's what it's all about. It's not about what you have done. The preacher gave the illustration of the pipe that takes water to homes but doesn't drink it. That's the tragedy of those who only work but have no relationship. They have not developed loyalty, love, obedience. Faithfulness. They're just busy running all over the place. The centurion and the crowd, they were deeply moved as our Lord Jesus died. His dead did what even his life could not do. It broke the hard hearts of men. Already his saying was coming through at the cross that I, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. The magnet of his crucifixion had begun its work. Even as he breathed his last. Something that led to his death has brought hope to humanity. And the Lord God Almighty is calling you and I To go out into the world and share that hope with men. that not only in this life will you have hope in Christ. But when it's all over, he will be waiting to receive you. That's why the apostle John wrote, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life—they are not of the world. They are not of the of the Father, and the world, they are of the world, and the world is passing away, and all that is in it. But whoever does the will of God, he will abide forever. That's the challenge of the cross. friendship with the world is enmity with god that is the challenge of the cross the daily you must be loyal and faithful to Him, because he was loyal and faithful to us to the very end
3: amen 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 blessed be god we now take an offering